evidence and answers. Many are concerned about the COVID vaccine. Is it safe? How was it developed? And so quickly, what are the side effects? There's a lot of information about the vaccine in the media today. It is important that we have the facts to make an intelligent decision based on truth and not misinformation. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat and his guest, biochemist Dr. Fazal Rana, will discuss the facts of the COVID vaccine. Now, with part one of this interview, is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Should we get the COVID vaccine or should we not? There's a lot of information and misinformation out there on the vaccines. How can we discern truth from error? Well, to help us discern fact from fiction is our go-to scientist here, Dr. Fazale Rana. Dr. Rana is Vice President of Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe, a great ministry that we endorse here at Evidence and Answers. He is the author of several fantastic books. We've done several shows on them. You can go to our website at evidenceandanswers.org and listen to our interviews there on Who Was Adam? Creating Life in a Lab, The Cell's Design, and Humans 2.0. Fazrana holds a PhD in chemistry with an emphasis in biochemistry from Ohio University, so he comes with a great background and insights into speaking on this topic. So, Fuzz, welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Thanks for welcoming us. <laughs> yes, you're quite a regular here. Well, we're talking about the COVID vaccines here, and at the time of this taping, they're being rolled out throughout our country and many other countries around the world that uh, listen to evidence and answers. But right now, we've got three types of vaccines available here in the United States. Tell us what they are and, and how do they work? Yeah, well... The three vaccines are the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, and then also uh, the J&J vaccine. And the Pfizer-BioNTech and the Moderna vaccine are both messenger RNA vaccines, so they work in a very similar manner. And then the J&J vaccine is called an adenovirus vector vaccine, and it's very similar in the way it works to the AstraZeneca vaccine, which has been approved in the UK and in Europe and other countries around the world. And so uh, these vaccines are not like the traditional vaccines in which you inject the patient with either a heat deactivated virus or a virus that has been attenuated through chemical treatment, but rather these vaccines actually produce or elicit our cells in the body to produce what's called the spike protein, the SARS-2 coronavirus spike protein, and so we build up essentially an acquired immunity to that spike protein. And in turn, we get a, an immunity to the, the SARS-2 coronavirus that, that whose surface is decorated with these spike proteins. So these are the second generation of vaccines that are available to us thanks to advances in biotechnology. I see. Now, some critics are saying these are not vaccines. They're calling it things like biological agents or that sort of label there. Is that why? Because it's not like a typical vaccine that we get? Yeah. I mean, I, in my mind, uh, these are vaccines. Because mm, okay. They are, uh, again, second generation vaccines, but 
they're essentially designed to trigger an immune response to foreign materials that have been ex introduced into our bodies. And so, you know, again, typical vaccines involve injecting, again, either a heat deactivated virus or an attenuated virus. And because that virus, those viruses are, are unable to essentially grow and reproduce in our bodies, they are considered to be safe, but we still are being exposed to the virus itself. And our body is re developing an immune reaction to those viruses that so that in the future, if we're exposed to the virus, our body is able to fight it off without us acquiring an infection. With these second generation vaccines, what we're doing is instead of injecting the virus itself is we are injecting materials that will lead to the production in our bodies of viral pieces that our body then recognizes as a foreign agent and then elicits a response to. So, I mean, technically speaking, they are, you could say they are biological agents that are being introduced into our bodies, but I like to think of them as really second generation vaccines where again, we're developing a response to, to viral, uh, to viral particles. I see. Now, are there more that are on their way to being approved? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of vaccines that are being pursued. One vaccine that has shown a lot of promise that very well could be approved in the near future is from Novavax. And here, this vaccine consists of a protein nanoparticle. So uh, the Pfizer-BioNTech and the Moderna vaccines inject messenger RNA uh, into, the, into our bodies. And that messenger RNA it encodes for the virus spike protein. So when the messenger RNA makes its way into the cells of our body, uh, our cells machinery will produce that spike protein and present it to the immune system as a foreign material that then triggers an immune response. Uh, the AstraZeneca uh, and the Johnson & Johnson vaccines use a, a, a de deactivated adenovirus as the vector carrying the genetic material to make the spike protein to cells. And again, that, when that material makes its way into the cells, it's producing the spike protein that will present it to the immune system as a, a foreign material. The Novavax vaccine actually consists of a protein nanoparticle that's made up of the spike protein. So it's a, a little bit of a different type of vaccine, but the clinical studies indicate about an, a high 80% effectiveness against the the SARS-2 coronavirus. So we're likely to see that vaccine gain approval in the near future as well. Now, you talk about nanotechnology and things get some people nervous. What exactly is that? Well, nanotechnology is simply technology in which we are building either machines or some kind of systems at a molecular scale. So when it comes to the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna vaccines, there are these nanoparticles that are consist of lipids or these are fatty materials that are like fat bubbles that surround the messenger RNA. So the messenger RNA is a bioagent that is surrounded by a nanoparticle. And so that would consist, that would be the nanotechnology there. The Nova vaccine consists of spike proteins that are produced in a laboratory setting and then purified, essentially packaged as a, a particle that is, again, a molecular scale particle built up of these proteins. So that's what's meant by nanotechnology. It sounds, I think, a lot more frightening than it actually is.
<laughs> yeah. I just got an email here from some of our friends in Asia, and the only vaccine available to them, I think they say, is the one from China right now. I'm not sure if you know anything about their vaccine. Is is their vaccine similar to ours? No, the uh, Chinese vaccines, and, and there's two Chinese companies, Sinopharm and Sinovac, I believe, that are producing SARS-2 coronavirus vaccines. And these are traditional vaccines. They, I think they are heat deactivated SARS-2 coronavirus particles. Hmm. But interestingly enough, these vaccines, the latest result indicates they're only about a, provide about a 50% effectiveness against the uh, COVID-19. And this is in contradistinction to the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna, which offer about a 90 to 95% effectiveness. And the reason is, is because those two vaccines trigger a much stronger immune reaction than does the, huh. does the more traditional vaccines. By point of comparison, the flu vaccine that some of us get on an annual basis affords us about a 40 to 60% effectiveness against the flu. So the, the Sinovac and the Sinopharm vaccines are comparable to the effectiveness of a flu vaccine. But this is why these second generation vaccines are so exciting is because they do seemingly afford us a greater degree of protection against COVID-19. Now, the J&J vaccine has been reported at being about 65 to 70% effective, but the difference may actually do with the way the clinical studies were done. In the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna studies, the standard for effectiveness was preventing serious or, or symptoms of COVID-19, whereas the Johnson & Johnson clinical was looking for uh, preventing any kind of symptoms. And so it's very well that both sets of vaccines may be equally effective, but all the vaccines are very good at preventing hospitalization. So even if you do get vaccinated and you are exposed to COVID-19 and you contract COVID-19, the likelihood of being hospitalized is very low and it's much more likely that COVID-19 infection is going to be rather mild. And so they, all these vaccines are affording a very high level of protection. Yes. And I think, you know, my wife, who is a medical doctor, is saying that's what we should be looking at, the amount of hospitalizations as a result of COVID. You know, is it going up or is it going down? And that should be a really good measure of how effective these vaccines are. Yeah, I would agree because, you know, it's one thing to get COVID-19, but it's another thing to get COVID-19 and have the disease progress to such a degree that your life is in jeopardy or that you actually lose your life. And so the real success of these vaccines is preventing people from going into the hospital. And I think that's what we're seeing, isn't it? Uh, at least where we are in, in our part of the country here, we're seeing the hospital rates and deaths from COVID going down. Is that what you're seeing out there in California? Yes. And so this is, you know, really very encouraging is that, you know, we are going into the, into the spring and summer months. More people are outside, you know, the temperatures are warming up. And so this is actually helping in and of itself. But then, of course, you know, a number of people have been exposed already to COVID-19. And so there's some immunity built up there. But as we are being effective at getting people vaccinated, that's also helping reduce the hospitalization. 
Sadly, there are some states that are beginning to see some surges in cases of COVID-19. That is a point of concern that we may see another wave. But I don't think this wave is going to be as serious as the last wave that we went through, simply because we are being very aggressive at, at vaccinating people. And again, we, we have the advantage of going into the, into the spring and summer months. So to me, it's all very encouraging. Maybe the point of the biggest concern would be the emergence of these different variants, like the Brazil variant, the South African variant, the UK variant. We have a variant here in California as well. And so that's the concern is, are these vaccines going to be as effective against these different variants as they are against the original, you know, SARS-2 coronavirus? And to me, the data seems to be encouraging that while these vaccines may not be as effective against the variants as they would be against the original SARS-2 coronavirus, they are effective enough, you know, that they are affording people some protection. Now, Fuzz, the average vaccine they tell us, have been telling us, is that it takes about four to five years to fully develop. And this one came out relatively quickly, uh, less than a year. In fact, you know, in several months. So many are concerned about the safety because of just how quickly these vaccines were developed. So in your research, would you consider them safe? Yes, the bottom line is consider them to be safe. I can understand why people would be concerned because Prior to the development of these vaccines, I think the most, the, the fastest we were ever able to develop a vaccine was on the order of about three to four years. But there's a number of things that really worked in our favor in terms of rapidly developing these vaccines. Number one is even though the messenger RNA vaccines have never really been used on a wide, large scale basis in humans, people have been working for close to 30 years developing these messenger RNA vaccines. And so they've been really 30 years in the making. And actually, right before the you know, COVID-19 pandemic hit, there were already messenger RNA vaccines that were in human clinical studies and human clinical trials. So that once we had the sequence for the SARS-2 coronavirus genome, once we had that DNA sequence, all the researchers had to do was simply a tweak the messenger RNA in already developed messenger RNA vaccines for other pathogens and just simply, you know, contextualize it for SARS-2 coronavirus. And so within days of having that sequence, they were already able to do animal testing and begin to do testing on human subjects. And so this is one of the reasons why it was developed so rapidly Another thing that worked in our favor, sadly, was we were in the midst of a pandemic. And so you could very quickly have enough people exposed to the SARS-2 coronavirus, to COVID-19, to actually develop a statistical analysis of the safety and the effectiveness of the vaccine. So even though, again, these are new vaccines, there's been a lot of pre-work that, that has gone into these vaccines. And to me, it's rather eerie because the COVID-19 pandemic would have hit us two years earlier or three years earlier, we would not have been able to mount this rapid of a response hmm. in terms of developing the vaccine because the experimental work on these vaccines was not progressed to that particular point. So it's interesting to note that this COVID-19 pandemic hit just at the time where we were already progressing 
these messenger RNA vaccines into clinical trials. And so I, I see this as part of God's providential care for us is that the timing was just right in terms of, you know, developing these vaccines. But, you know, we've got quite a bit of safety data now on these vaccines. I mean, I think, gosh, a, a huge number of Pfizer and uh, BioNTech and Moderna vaccine, vaccinations have been administered. Gosh, I think on the order of about 180 million doses. And so we have a good understanding of the safety profile of these vaccines. And the, the biggest concern would be that people that tend to react strongly, have strong allergic reactions, can actually go into anaphylactic shock mm-hmm. if they receive these vaccines. But this is going to happen pretty quickly. And you're monitored after you receive the vaccine for the appropriate period of time to ensure that you don't go into anaphylactic shock. In fact, my wife received her first dose of a Moderna vaccine a couple of days ago. And right after she said, right after I got the vaccine, I could kind of feel a tingling in my arm that kind of went through my chest and up into my head. Wow. I suddenly had some challenges breathing. And so they kept her there for 30 minutes and then they moved her into a, a room and had a physician see her and they monitored her for again, another half hour or so. And when they were convinced that there wasn't anything of, of real concern, she had a, a minor allergic reaction, they were able to release her. And so the point here is that we know what to look for in terms of people having negative reactions to these vaccines. And so they are safe and we understand what could potentially go wrong. And it's a very small number of people that actually have the risk of going into anaphylactic shock, but it's again, treatable and the people are on alert at vaccination facilities for, for, again, anaphylaxis. Now, there is some news about the J&J vaccines that in very rare cases could cause some kind of blood clotting. I don't think people fully understand what the connection is. The good news is that it's a very low number of people. There have been, I don't know, less than 10 reported cases in the U.S., this serious blood clotting. And there's been about 7 million vaccines that of the J&J vaccine that have been administered. So it's a very rare condition. And we now understand how to treat it and what to look for from in terms of symptoms. And so, again, it, it's not good news if you're one of those people that have these rare reactions. But overall, the likelihood of having that is very, very low. Yeah. So, Fuzz, for most people, I mean, what kind of side effects are they experiencing after receiving the vaccine? Yeah, well, there could be some pain and soreness in the arm. When I got my Moderna vaccine, I I ended up getting what's called COVID arm, where I had a red spot and some red streaks down my arm. Wow. disappeared. I'm hearing on second uh, dose that I haven't had this experience myself. On the second dose, about half the people have, again, uh, a a stronger reaction where they might get chills and feel poorly for a day or two. But that actually is not a consequence of the vaccine itself, but rather it's the fact that our immune systems are being activated and are developing the appropriate immune response, which is going to afford us with, you know, protection against, you know, the COVID-19 infection. So these are not pleasant experiences from what I hear and what I, with respect to the people I've talked to, but they're short-lasting and 
they're an indication that the vaccines are working. Hmm, I see. Now, there are alleged reports of people dying from the vaccine, uh, a good number of people dying from the vaccine, but these reports are scrubbed off, you know, from the Internet. In your research, how true is this? Have you come across this? Yeah, well, you know, the, the thing to keep in mind is that, you know, any kind of medical treatment has risk associated with it. If you take drugs, d- different types of pharmaceutical agents, I mean, there are risks associated with it. There are risks associated with medical procedures. There's going to be risks associated with vaccines. And there are people that have died because of the vaccines. But again, the, the number of instances of this are very low. And yes, you know, a lot of attention is paid when, you know, people die from the vaccines. But again, it's a, rel- it's a relatively rare occurrence. But a lot of attention is focused on that. But the fact that we've you know, with the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna vaccine have given out 185 million doses. To me, if there were really people that were dying from the vaccine, it would be hard to actually suppress that data. It'd be hard to scrub it off of the internet. Yeah, you know, Facebook and all these kinds of internet websites out there and people that can do mass emails, I find it hard to believe that you could completely scrub these kinds of reports if it was really happening, you know, completely from the Internet. To me, I think what we've just seen in the last week with the CDC issuing essentially a recommendation to pause the J&J vaccines, to put the administering of the J&J vaccines on hold till we can investigate further this blood clotting issue, really to me indicates that people are being very, you know, highly vigilant about the response that people are having to these vaccines and are taking very seriously any potential side effects. Because again, about 7 million doses of the J&J vaccine have been given out. And we're looking at probably less than 10 people that have had blood clots. At least this is what's been, you know, what's been reported. There may be more people that have had blood clotting issues. And this is what's, you know, being investigated at the moment. But that percentage, you know, let's say, 10 out of 7 million is almost in the noise. And yet, because of these, again, people that are developing blood clots and that association with the, you know, the J&J vaccine and the fact that it's being paused and investigated to me suggests that people are being extremely vigilant. And from my understanding, only one person has died from the blood clotting. So I find it hard to believe that a lot of people are dying and this is being scrubbed off the internet are being suppressed because if that was the case we wouldn't see the J&J vaccinations being halted. Yeah, that's a good point that you bring up there and you know one of the things that we want to do here with evidence and answers to have people, you know, not living in fear or according to misinformation but according to the truth that that is out there. So we want to clear away some of the misinformation that is out there. Now There's information, I've heard several preachers, I think the Catholic Church has been debating this issue as well, that Johnson & Johnson, even Pfizer and Moderna and others, uh, made the vaccine from aborted fetal tissues of human embryos. Is this correct? How true is this? It's not correct, but it's a little bit more complicated than than just simply saying it's not correct. With the Pfizer, BioNTech, and the Moderna vaccines, there were no human cells used whatsoever to actually develop the vaccines. 
There are no human cells that are needed to produce the vaccines. The only human cells that were used were in confirmatory testing and really a handful of experiments to make sure that the vaccine did what it was supposed to do inside human cells. And so, you know, to me, the Pfizer-BioNTech and the Moderna vaccines, again, there's no, in, in my view, no ethical concerns with these vaccines from a pro-life position. Now, the J&J vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine are adenovirus vaccines that did require the use of human cells to develop them, the use of human cells to test them, and will require the use of human cells to produce them. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online you'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio, free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Oh, 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 o